Welcome to episode 10 of the Truth Quest podcast, The Truth About God and Evil. My intent on every fifth episode is to present a Christian apologetic topic. This episode is the second installment and follows episode number five, The Truth About the Resurrection of Jesus Christ. Before we jump in, I want to ask you for a favor. Please share the show with others. If you are having a discussion about the resurrection, then the NFL national anthem protests, climate change, social security, or God and evil. Send them the specific episode. As always, please consider supporting the show with a few dollars. Every dollar donated will be used to expand the show's reach. See the show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for a link to the support page. And also, please join the conversation on Facebook. Check out the TruthQuest podcast fan page at facebook.com forward slash truthquest podcast, all one word. I will continue to post articles related to past episodes as well as links to new episodes. The easiest way to stay up to date is to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or maybe in Google Music. Now on with the show. Last month I read a story about two American cyclists killed in the mountains of Tajikistan. Apparently they were intentionally run over and then stabbed. A group claiming to be members of the terrorist group ISIS claimed responsibility for the killings. So what does this story have to do with today's topic? Well, the couple was on a mission of sorts. See, they did not believe in evil. They had been on a year-long bike journey, taking them throughout Africa, along the European Mediterranean shoreline, to Turkey and Central Asia, proclaiming their message of non-evil. On their blog, they wrote, quote, Evil is a make-believe concept we've invented to deal with the complexities of fellow humans holding values and beliefs and perspectives different than our own. By and large, humans are kind, self-interested sometimes, myopic sometimes, but kind, generous and wonderful and kind, end quote. Given the viral nature of this killing, I thought it made sense to tackle this topic now. We'll get back to this couple later in the episode. My intent with this episode is to present you with information that I have come across over the years as I continue my truth quest in regards to the question of God and evil. At this point in my journey, I feel like I know about three quarters of the story. There are still areas where I am not clear, but perhaps this episode will spark some discussion on the Truth Quest Facebook page, and you can help me fill in the rest of the story. Let's be honest, if you are looking for a reason not to believe in God, the world is more than willing to find one for you. The existence of evil is just one of many. Unfortunately, it is one of the more persuasive. Atheists, agnostics, and non-Christians complain all the time about how harsh and evil the God of the Old Testament appears to be. And the ever-present question of how can a good God allow so much cruelty to exist is a legitimate question worthy of an answer. I want to start our discussion with an observation, one that I realized during the research for this episode. It hits right at the heart of the argument that evil somehow invalidates the existence of God. That observation is that evil is a prominent topic in the Bible. In fact, there are over 400 references to it, starting with seven references in Genesis. Do you remember the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Genesis 3.5 and 3.22 talk about knowing good and evil. Genesis 6.5 states, Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Genesis 8.21 says every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Genesis 44.4 4 
Joseph says, Why have you repaid good with evil? The book of Deuteronomy, 1st and 2nd Kings, may as well be named the books of evil with many, many references to the topic. Lots of cries to purge evil. Lots of references to the Israelites and others doing evil in the eyes of the Lord. Several years ago, I wrote a book called The Proverbs Project. See the show notes page for information about that book. In it, I categorized the 900 plus verses into 150 categories. And here is what I learned about evil and wickedness from the book of Proverbs. First of all, the book of Proverbs states over and over again that the wise know that there is good and evil, and they can distinguish between the two. It further states that God blesses those who live a moral and virtuous life. He does not reward the wicked among us. God detests the thoughts of the wicked. It explains that evil people hate those who are honest and full of integrity because they represent everything that they are not. Evil will, quote, seek to kill the upright, end quote. Essentially, the book of Proverbs advises us to avoid those who are wicked and evil. God will take care of the righteous and reject the wicked. That's just the Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Jesus said, quote, In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, for I have overcome the world, end quote. He also spoke about the persecution that Christians will experience. The Apostle Paul, the writer of three-quarters of the New Testament, says things like, Do not conform to the patterns of the world, and purge the evil person from among you. Beyond the writings of Paul, the New Testament is full of discussions about sin and evil. On top of all of that, when you think about the, the natural state of the world, with few exceptions, it is poverty, war, and death. That's just a fact. So it's hard to argue that evil is not part of God's plan for the world. The Bible does not describe a society free from evil. The question then becomes, is there a reasonable explanation for this? Stay tuned. Question for skeptics. How do you reconcile your criticism of God because he presumably refuses to stop evil when the Bible spends so much time discussing the topic and advising us to avoid it? Isn't it more reasonable to assume that the existence of evil is part of God's plan for humans? The next line of reasoning I want to take is one that really hit me between the eyes when I first heard it. The idea being that if there was no God, how would we know what evil is? See, it turns out evil and suffering are evidence for God, not against him. C.S. Lewis, a legendary novelist and Christian apologetic, famously articulated this when he wrote, When I was an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this, the universe with when I called it unjust? If the whole show was bad and senseless from A to Z, so to speak, why do I, who was supposed to be part of the show, find myself in such violent reaction to it? A man feels wet when he falls into water because man is not a water animal. A fish would not feel wet. Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God collapsed too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my fancies. Thus, in the very act of trying to prove God did not exist, that the whole of reality was senseless, I found I was forced to assume that one part of reality, namely my idea of justice, was full of sense. End quote. 
what Lewis is saying here is that there is some divine sense of goodness, the straight line, so to speak, in which to evaluate evil, the crooked line. If evil is just a matter of opinion, we can eliminate it tomorrow simply by changing our opinion. Think back to the idealistic bicyclist from the beginning of the episode. You just simply declare there is no evil. We can only know something is evil if we know what good is. You can't know something is unjust if you don't know what is just. A Christian would argue that we know what is just because of God. Evil would not exist unless good existed. Otherwise, you would not know the difference. And good only exists because of God. So the problem for skeptics is there is a natural occurring moral code in every human being. Where does that come from? Genetics? Maybe. It evolved in humans over time? Maybe. From God? Maybe. See, the thing is, evil does not exist by itself. It is a corruption of a good thing. Or as St. Augustine discovered, evil is the absence of good. Writing for CrossExamine.com, Brian Chilton had this to say, God created all things and created the conditions where a person could do good or evil. But God did not create evil, because evil is not a thing to be created. It is not like a virus or slab of concrete. Evil is an attribute. It is a personal rejection of the good, the good which is an attribute of God. So here are a series of analogies from Norman Geisler's book, If God, Why Evil, that I found very persuasive. The first one is, evil is like a wound. Wounds do not exist by themselves. They are a corruption of a healthy body part. If you take a wound off of a body, you have a better body. If you take the body out of the wound, you have nothing. Or, evil is like rot or rust. Rot and rust do not exist by themselves. They are a corruption of a good piece of wood or metal. If you take the rot or rust out of the wood or metal, you have a better piece of wood or metal. If you take the good piece of wood or metal away from the rust, you have nothing. Or evil is like cancer. Cancer is an evil, but it only exists in a good body. If you take cancer out of a body, you have a better body. If you take the body out of the cancer, you have nothing. I think you get the point. Evil does not exist on its own. Question for skeptics. How do you know something is evil? There are a couple ways to look at this question. First, you can look at it from a secular perspective. For example, how do you know you are breaking the law? Maybe you see a speed limit sign and it says 35 miles an hour. If you are doing 50 in a 35, you know you are doing wrong. That's pretty self-explanatory. You can make the same argument about murder, stealing, and rape. We know they are wrong or evil because society tells us via the laws. But even if we live in a society with no law enforcement, we would know these things are wrong. How? Because there's a moral lawgiver, presumably God, that imprints his moral code on our conscience while giving us free will to choose to obey or not. The Apostle Paul touches on this subject when he talked about the Gentiles understanding the law. After all, according to, the, to Jews at the time, the Gentiles did not have the Torah, they were not circumcised, they did not follow all the dietary and other ritualistic practices that the Jews did, so how could they get involved with God? Paul explained that just because the Gentiles do not know Jesus doesn't mean they don't know right and wrong. In other words, God instilled in everyone his moral code via your conscience. What about natural disasters, illness, and accidents? 
There are no signs or laws that say they are evil, yet we often consider them such. Tsunamis, volcanoes, earthquakes, fires, cancer, car accidents, etc. kill and maim hundreds of thousands of people every year. Who is to blame for this quote-unquote evil? Most often it is God who receives the blame. I admit these situations are difficult to rationalize, but give me a couple minutes to work through this and maybe I have a possible explanation. One of the most satisfying explanations that I have come across on this topic is the concept of free will. God does not want a bunch of mind-numb robots roaming the earth. He wants us to freely choose to follow him. He wants us to choose to love and worship him. Following this logic, you realize that God does not produce or promote evil. However, he does permit it. He permits it by giving us free will. Humans make the choice to do evil, not God. His sovereignty, power, or omnipotence, whatever you want to call it, does not negate personal responsibility. God created the conditions for evil to exist, but only in order to allow people to freely express love for him and others. Evil is the price we pay for free will. You could say that the reason evil exists is because free beings use free will badly. The same is true when people say, if God is all-powerful, why doesn't he stop evil? If he did, he would be destroying free will, and obviously he values free will highly. Another often trotted out argument about God and evil is, if God is all-knowing, then he knew this world that he created would be full of evil. Why not just build a world with no evil? One explanation is, he did not create heaven on earth because this is a testing ground, so to speak. You must resist evil and sin while you're here before moving on to a place where there is no sin and no evil. The struggle with evil and sin is necessary. Maybe this side of heaven is a character-building exercise. This is the best world that we can be that could be achieved without violating everyone's free will. Another explanation, which to many of you will seem like a cop-out, is the idea that do we really need to know everything? Many things are beyond humans' understanding, and maybe the answer is to be okay with not knowing everything. It doesn't mean we don't continue to pursue more understanding. After all, God instilled in us the desire for knowledge, the need to explore and to learn. But a lot of people, Christians, non-Christians, fence-sitters, atheists, and agnostics, want to know more. So how do we help them? In his book, The Story of Reality, Greg Kokel said this, Because we can never know if freedom was worth the price of evil, this is one of those things we must leave to God. And since we have good reason to believe he exists, and that he is good and wise, I think we are in safe hands with this strategy. The truth is, we are finite beings dealing with an infinite one. Just because we don't know the reason for evil doesn't mean there is not a good one. Or better put, just because we don't know the good behind evil does not mean there is no good. The unexplained is not unexplainable. At least we know why it's not explainable, because we are finite beings. I understand this is an unsatisfactory response for many of you. That's a reasonable reaction to this explanation. Why God allows evil, why he allows bad things to happen to good people, why he allows bad people to do bad things does not make sense to us finite beings. This understandably pushes some people away from God. However, if we are truly eternal beings, then perhaps we should look at things a little differently. Maybe the perceived evils that happen during our short time in this world should be looked at through the light of eternity. Well, what about hell? For many people, the ultimate evil is the existence of hell. If God is all-loving, why create a hell? 
It seems to be a bit of an overkill, is the argument. Again, this is a reasonable question until you consider that hell is a choice. We have a choice to be separated from God, and he respects that choice. After all, we are made in his image, so he gives us that respect. The Bible does not describe hell as a torture chamber. As Norman Geisler says, quote, those in hell know that the pain they suffer is self-induced, end quote. I imagine someone dying, they go to hell, and they speak to the gatekeeper who asks them, do you know why you're here? And 100% of the time, the person says yes. So as I wrap up this episode, for non-Christians, atheists, agnostics, and fence-sitters, I hope I gave you something to think about in regards to God and evil. I understand what I've said here may leave you a little bit unsatisfied, but it's, it's a pretty intense and complicated topic. For those of you who are Christians, or at least lean in that direction, I think that it is important to consider that Christianity does provide an answer to the question of evil. Despite all the crap that goes on in the world, and despite the fact that none of us are good, and despite the fact that we all are bent towards evil, God solved the problem of evil by coming to earth in the form of a human, allowing himself to be tortured and killed in order to forgive us of our sins. I don't know about you, but I find that very comforting.